Well, good morning. Great to see you. Like I said, 9 o'clock. It's great to see anybody in the middle of July <laughs> in uh, Washington, isn't it, huh? Hope you had a, a great week this week. Lots of stuff going on. We have probably about 80 of our folks that are out at Flowing Lake camping this weekend, and they're having a little service out there. Uh, that's the first time we've done that. We've never had a uh, North Shore camp out like that, and I have a feeling with this. I, I went out there and just kind of poked around a little bit with the folks, and I think this is going to be the first annual, uh, you know, because everybody's just enjoying it so much, and uh, appreciate those who put that together. Also, I don't know if any of you showed up at uh, Claire's place yesterday as a volunteer. Nancy said she had a big, long list of folks, maybe 30 or more folks that set up, I, I think it was 14 rooms fully uh, furnished, and then we have another 18 that are partially furnished uh, that North Shore, you guys provided that. I think that's almost half of the rooms that are there, so you guys had a big impact and just continue to pray. I think there'll be some more opportunities that we'll let you know about uh, in the days ahead, okay, that where we can um, make an influence there. So, yeah, it's been quite a week, a lot of stuff going on. By the way... <laughs> Uh, did any of you feel the earthquake this week, huh? <laughs> any of you? Uh, that was really something, wasn't it? I, uh, I, I told that man, uh, you know, we got our dog Jasper, and sometimes he likes to get underneath the bed at uh, night, and I thought he just got into a big flea or something like that, and he was just trying to get that thing, and then all of a sudden I woke up, I said, what is going on, you know? And I looked, and here's Jasper's eyes looking at me over at the side of the, the room, and I said, that's not Jasper. And I said, that was something else, as it obviously was. So I, I think of the scripture, man, what will be shaken, uh, w uh, what can be shaken will be shaken, and they remind us just how fragile we are, uh, and it's a good time to express our dependence upon the Lord, knowing that he's in charge of it all. So uh, gr grateful that nothing worse happened. We are picking up a series we started last week on renewing the mind. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 today. Some of Paul's instructions. It's very specific. It's going to zero in on some opportunities to learn about, uh, about how we can take those thoughts uh, captive uh, that, uh, that sometimes come after us. Uh, if you have your notes handy and you're looking at them right now, I wanted to draw your attention to the scripture at the top. It's a psalm that David wrote, and David uh, expressed this prayer, and he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And I want to kind of use that as a, a launching pad this morning for what, uh, what I think we're going to be learning and, and, and hopefully hearing from the Lord that can help us uh, especially when we come under those attacks of the enemy in our thought life. How do we take those thoughts captive? I think the place to start is just what David is expressing there, is to open up ourselves to God, to the heart of God, to the Spirit of God, and say, search me, Lord. Search me. I want to be open. Because as we're going to learn today, just the opposite is true quite often. We, we kind of dig our heels in. We become hardened in our thinking and our thoughts. And we want to open ourselves up to the the thoughts of God and to what he has for us. So great place to start this morning is prayer. So let's do that. Trust him for uh, him to speak to us. Let's pray. Father, today, as we humbly bow before you, we give you thanks for uh, your goodness. We thank you for the word of God and the truth that it represents. I thank you, Lord, for folks who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness because your promise says they shall be filled. And that's what we desire this morning. God, we pray the prayer, David, to search us. Examine those parts of us that we're not willing to go to. We're uncomfortable. Uh, maybe even opening doors to areas. But I just pray, Lord, that your light will shine uh, throughout. 
will permeate every bit of us and that, uh, that God, our thoughts will become your thoughts. Our ways will become your ways. So we surrender to that today and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, in addition to uh, going to the Corinthians passage, which we'll be, we'll be headed to in just a moment, uh, I'm going to I'm going to kind of weave back and forth to an Old Testament story because what I like, I like, I like sometimes to go into Paul's teaching and the principles, the ideas that he's trying to express to his readers, in this case the Corinthians, and he gives some great principles, great precepts in order to, to operate by. But when we go back into the Old Testament, even Paul himself said this, that those stories back in the Old Testament are there as examples to us, sometimes good examples to follow, sometimes not so good examples to avoid. And in this case, I want us to go to, uh, to the relationship between David and Saul. And we're going to be looking at this a little closer, of how that relationship emerged. Because what you're going to see, I think, is how in particular Saul allowed his thoughts to go into a very dark place. In fact, uh, we would call it a wicked place. Proverbs says very clearly that the Lord detests the wicked thoughts. And Saul, unfortunately, as you see that relationship uh, emerge, that he allowed himself to descend into that state. And I'll tell you what, it followed him for the rest of his days, and I think we can learn from that. We can also learn from David, who had a heart that was willing to be examined. Lord, test me. Test my, my thoughts. Look inside my heart. Go, go to places, Lord. I invite you there uh, to examine me. So we're going to be examining a little bit more about that relationship. But uh, to kind of lay the, the foundation today, I want to take you to first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want us to start with verses uh, 3 and 4 and then move, move through. And then we're going to go back and look a little more specifically at what Paul's instruction is. Look at 2 Corinthians 10. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ now that's saying quite a bit there and uh, and as Paul as Paul begins to uh, to address these issues Friends, what we've been looking at these last couple of weeks, and what I told you last week, and what kind of prompted this is that, at least in, in my, my ministry, I find more people struggling with those thoughts and that, that you, like we said like last week in Proverbs, what you think you are going to become. You are going to live out what it starts right here in your minds, in your thought life. And you know that there's a lot of thoughts that are swirling around. And there's any number of things that we can drift towards. Some of them are good, but unfortunately, probably the majority of them are not so good. Remember somebody said once, uh, you know, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair, right? And, and these are the way that the thoughts work. And sometimes, unfortunately, we allow the enemy to, to allow them to build the nest in our, in our hair. They, they stick and they, they start instructing and forming how we're going to carry that out. Paul recognizes this. And so the first thing he is, is uh, bringing to our attention is, this is not just your ordinary flesh of the world, you know, battles that all of us seem to go through. There is a spiritual battle going on, and we have an adversary. We have an enemy. We call him Satan. And he has schemes up his sleeve. He's got ways and manners in which he's going to try to undo what Christ is working in you. 
And it's usually going to start right here in your minds, in your thoughts. And so Paul reminds us, the weapons that we have available to us are not of the world. The world's got reasonings and ways in which they deal with issues and problems and difficulties, but those are not the same as what God affords us. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, some of this is going to be a review because Paul, you notice in this passage, does not go into the specifics of what those weapons are, does he? He doesn't spell them out. You have to go to some other teachings from Paul's writings, and in particular, where we were at a few weeks ago in Ephesians, uh, he told us to put on the whole armor of God to go against these principalities and powers. They're not, they're not of, of this world. They're principalities and powers that we're dealing with. And he lines out the armament, and there were three things in particular I think he mentioned that probably would constitute the kinds of weapons he's inferring here. Let me share those with you. The first of those is the truth. That is the first thing, is the truth. Paul told us in that passage in chapter 6 of Ephesians, put on the belt of truth, and we know that the enemy's native tongue, he's a liar, isn't he? He's going to try to deceive you. He's going to whisper in your ear things that are not true. And if you allow that to take hold, he's going to take you to places that you do not want to go. And that's what constitutes what we would call a foothold, the, the devil gaining a foothold, or even as Paul infers here, a stronghold. I don't have to describe what a stronghold is. It's like a fortress. And, and sometimes it's almost as if there are walls, like a fortress built up, and you've dug your heels in, and you're going to hang into that area, and nothing's going to be able to penetrate that. These are the kind of thoughts that sometimes we're allowed to go. And the only way to explode those or to deal with those is to introduce the truth into that situation. I would probably use synonymously the word light. Truth is like the light. We know Jesus said, I am the truth and I am the light of the world. And when he comes into a situation, all of a sudden it exposes what the enemy uh, is doing as a part of the lies that, that he's telling us. And that's, that's the way he works. Goodness, you go back to the Garden of Eden. The very first things that we read about the serpent doing is once God told Adam the, the kind of the rules. He gave him the rules. Don't eat from that tree. The first thing the enemy does is whisper in his ear and say, did God really say that? That's the tone. That's his deception. He wants to put a little doubt in there. Is that really the truth? Did God really say that? And once you open that door... You're going to find it's, it's, it's like a little crack, and all of a sudden, man, it just comes flooding in, and all of a sudden, we, we, we take the bait, okay? So the truth is the first thing that he talks about, I think, as, as one of those weapons. And uh, the second, obviously, is the Word of God, okay? He, t he said that, that was the one offensive weapon that he mentioned in that passage in chapter 6. It is, it is the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and any time I think about this passage, uh, Paul's in, in 2 Corinthians about taking captive, back in Bible times, they didn't have firearms. They didn't have other uh, kinds of weapons. The only thing they really had would be a sword. And if you were going to take somebody under arrest or try to uh, hold them back, you would put the sword and you'd probably put it right to their chest or right under their neck and that you would hold them at sword point. And sometimes when the enemy is trying to do his number on you and he's sharing these lies, what you have to counteract that with is the word, the sword of the Spirit. The best picture we have is when Jesus was out in the wilderness, wasn't it? 
and the enemy came at him, and he attacked him the same way he attacks you and me, in three areas. It says the lust of the eyes, the pleasures of life, and the pride of life. Those three areas, John talked about it, but that's just what Jesus went through. The enemy said, said look at that, look at that stone. You know you're hungry. Turn that stone into bread. How did Jesus respond? Thou shalt not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He responded by the word of God. And friends, if we don't know the word, you're not going to have the ammo to deal with the lies and the, the deception that the enemy is going to throw at us while we're walking through this world. That's as simple as that. If you think you're just going to contend on your own and in your own reasonings and your own thoughts and things, friends, you're going to probably lose. In fact, you will lose. The only thing that can contend against that is the truth, and that truth is found in the Word of God. Jesus said in a prayer in John 17, God, he says, sanctify them by your truth. And then he adds, your word is that truth. And that's what sets us apart from, from the ways of the world, okay? And then the third thing that Paul mentioned, at least in that passage, was, was prayer. He's saying it's, it's by prayer. And today as we're kind of contemplating what it's like when when we're, we're trying to figure all these things out in our own head, um, words are going to come up like pretensions and arguments and imaginations and reasonings and all these kinds of things that kind of describe the, the battle that's going on in our minds and the enemies over here. It's kind of like those cartoon days, you know, when there's a little devil over here and a little angel over here and, and they're just going after each other. He's saying, if you, if you just stay in your own little world, your own little imaginations, you'll probably drift off into something that, that is not going to be aligned with what God wants. So what do you do? You invite God in. And how do you do that? You do it through prayer. You, you, you invite him in. You begin to talk to him. You begin to lay it out before him. And is that not what David did? Was not the psalm that we just read a prayer? Lord, I invite you to come in and examine my heart. I am laying my heart, my thoughts, my life, I'm laying them out before you. And so as a result, the light of the Lord comes in, and that light is, again, what is going to expose the darkness and the deception uh, that, that's going on there. Uh, I, I just have to say, and I watch this all the time, unfortunately, that when, when the enemy's doing a number in our thoughts, one of the tendencies we have is to isolate ourselves. We think we can handle on our own, and and we're maybe embarrassed or, or we're uncomfortable or we're awkward or whatever. And we tend to kind of pull away from accountability or from speaking truth or, or being exposed before. And so we pull away and think we're going to handle it on our own. And friends, that's the worst thing that we can do. And that, that, that deals with God too. What did Adam do as soon as he bit from the tree, the fruit of the tree? He hid, didn't he? He hid. And you can just hear the Lord saying, Adam, where are you? He knew where he was. But it wasn't until he came out of hiding. And that's what we use the word confession. Confession is coming out of hiding. And we come back into the light. And that's essentially it's a form of prayer, isn't it? It's praying. It's communing with the Lord. So, so these weapons, uh, the truth, the word of God, and even prayer, these are just among some of those that Paul is going to in other places uh, referred to. So as Paul moves on in this discussion, he says, we destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Okay? 
So in the first part, he says, these weapons have the power to destroy strongholds. Those things that we've dug in, we've dug our heels in, we built kind of a fortress around them, we're hanging on. But now he uses another kind of idea, the arguments and the lofty opinions set up against the knowledge of God. Let's go back to the little battle, okay, with the little devil and the little angel. In our head, we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It's like an argument in our head. One part of it says, well, I know God said this. I believe he said this. I'm not exactly sure what he said, but I think it's something like that. And then the enemy comes over here and he says, did God really say that? Are you sure? But yeah, but look at over here and look at this person and look what that, look at there. And you're going to go back and forth. And he's saying these weapons are going to take you to a place where ultimately we can destroy those kinds of arguments. The lofty opinions, I think, have to do with... a. a kind of a base of arrogance and pride where man on his own is going to list himself, prop himself up and say, oh man, I can handle this. I can do this. I know better than, than the word of God. And don't we deal with that in our daily walk in the world today? Of the, I mean, just listen to the messages that are being sent out and, and just the arrogance that comes that we think, oh, we've got this together. And uh, it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You know, read, read the first chapter of Romans sometime. And Paul's describing just the realities that we're living in today in our culture. And he said they set themselves up. They thought they were all so, so great and, and they had all the answers. But he said, man, their minds became futile thinking. Their minds became futile because they, they didn't acknowledge God in, in it. And that's the world that we're living. And so he says they have the power to do that. Now, I want to take you now to an example uh, the one I mentioned earlier about David and Saul. And I want you to see at least one picture, one illustration of how this plays out. It's pretty interesting how the scripture gets into the kind of the deep recesses of a person's thinking and action. And uh, let, let me just, for those of you that might be newer to the, the Bible and some of the stories and things like that, most of you know about David and you know the big, the big event, right? He, uh, he had an encounter with a giant. What was his name? Goliath. And uh, he was this little guy, and all these soldiers, all these, these big guys were afraid of this giant. And they were paralyzed by fear because of this taunting. David gets up there and he says, what does this uncircumcised Philistine think he's doing? He's going up against the knowledge of God, against the almighty God. And he says, I'll take him on. And of course, you know the story, and, and he doesn't have all the armor and all the other stuff. He takes his little slingshot and he slays Goliath. Well, what happened after that? Well, the news got around, wouldn't you think? That this little guy, David, suddenly he is thrust into the limelight. He becomes Saul's little darling, if you will. Saul wants him to come into his courts and to, to, to be there right with him. That's how it started off. In my opinion, Saul's downfall all started with a song. And one day, as... He was looking out his palace or whatever. He heard him chanting or singing this song. And essentially the word said, Saul has defeated his thousands, but David has, has defeated his ten thousands. And that one moment, I think, changed everything. And there are two things that I see that now in his thought life, he began to entertain and open the door for. And the first one, if you're looking at your note, is jealousy and envy. 
I think jealousy and envy right at that moment, it set in. He started looking at him, and essentially the scripture records that because he says uh, in Samuel 18, when Saul saw that he had great success, meaning David, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and he came in before them. Something began to happen. And something, Saul opened the door. He opened just a crack. But the enemy came in and established a foothold in his thinking, in his mind. And all of a sudden, he started getting jealous of David because everybody loved him. And he started evaluating himself in the light of David. And then the next thing that occurred is anger. So it started translating not into just this benign jealousy, but now he literally, if you read, he took spears and was trying to nail them against the wall. And David avoided that. Um, but that would probably get your attention, wouldn't you? If somebody was throwing spears at you, this guy's got a problem, right? He's got a problem with me. And, and if you read the sequence because of the jealousy that I think led into the anger that led into the wicked thinking. And, and we know that the favor of God had come off of Saul. It was now on David. But now it showed up in the wicked thinking. And like I said before, Proverbs says, the Lord detests the wicked thoughts of a man. And his thoughts became wicked. How am I going to get back at it? How am I going to get even? And it just, it just descended into a dark, dark place. Envy. There's a proverb that says envy rots the bones. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've compared yourself or you've measured yourself against somebody, but this is just one of so many scenarios of thoughts that potentially can take you to a place that you never want to go. I remember uh, in my later years of high school, uh, I was the only one of my siblings that, that was staying, living at home at that point, lived in Central California. It was very hot in the summer. And um, I remember these days, uh, my junior, senior high school days, and my grandfather, um, he lived to be 97 years old. He's where I got my red hair from, and he's, got, well, he's the one I got my fiddle from. I have a picture of him holding the fiddle back in 1899. Uh, I mean, he was born in 1879. That's my grandfather. And, uh, and he, he, he never was put, never in a nursing home or care facility. My mom and my aunt took care of him uh, to his final days. And I watched this play out where my aunt, uh, they were enjoying retirement and, and they had invested well in everything and they had a second home over in Cayucas on the California coast. If you know anything about the geography there, it's 105 degrees in the San Joaquin Valley. It'll be 60 degrees and foggy over at the coast. And so we would watch Pappy, uh, which was what we called him. Pappy would come and uh, Virginia, my aunt, would drop him off at our house. And then she would go to their house over in Cayucas. Well, in our house, we did not have central air conditioning. We had a swamp cooler, one of those kinds, you know, that she'd take, go outside and spray it with a hose, you know, so that we can just get, get some relief in the 105, that kind of a thing. So here's my mom sweating, you know, just uncomfortably hot. 
Virginia drops Pappy off, and then she goes to her nice, cool home over on the beach. And I watched this play out because I could see a jealousy and an, even an envy begin to set in. And as the months turned longer, that there became a, a deep separation in their relationship. But that's, I, that's where I believe it all began. When I got saved and I went off to a Christian college, my great Aunt Grace was so um, generous to help put me through school. But I'd always go over to visit her, and she would just agonize over Virginia and my mom and the breaking in the relationship. Why are they doing this? Why can't they get along? And I watched the results of that play out. Thankfully, before, before the end, they, they repaired that relationship. But I think it all started in the envy that that my mom probably felt under those circumstances. And she went to a place that I don't think anybody wanted to go, but that's where the enemy will take you if you don't arrest those thoughts, if you don't take them captive. And that's where Saul went to. I think another dimension of that is what we would call fearful suspicions. Fearful suspicions. As I looked at that passage, one of the things I noticed, not once but twice, it refers to Saul being afraid of David. It was in that first passage that I, I re just read to you. He stood in fearful awe of him a little bit later. I think it's verse 11. He says, and he was still afraid of David. He's the king. He's got it all. Why would he be afraid? It was because way back then, when that song was sung, if you read the little side note there, it said, Saul thought to himself, what else could David get except for my kingdom? That was the thought that he entertained. And that's what began to translate out into his anger, into his murder, into his hatred, and all the other dimensions of that. And it kind of started with a fearful suspicion. It's just borrowing from something that is not real. And the enemy takes us there. And we've, we've, got, to, we've got to arrest those thoughts. And so that's why Paul now brings us to this chapter 10, verse 5, where he says, we need to take every thought captive to obey Christ to take every thought captive to obey, obey Christ. How, do, how does that happen? How does that happen? Um, and what, what thoughts is he describing here? What are some of the things going on in our mind? Goodness gracious, we could probably do a whole series just out of that, couldn't we? If you come back next week, I, I, I do want to dig deeper into some areas that I think a lot of us can identify with. And, and just kind of expose them for what they are. But as I was doing this study, I started just kind of looking up the word mind, you know, like in a concordance, and just saying, okay, what do you have to say about your mind or your thought life? And there were some things that kind of bubbled up, and I wanted to just bring them to you. One of them was a blinded mind, a mind that is blinded. And if, uh, if you glance there at verse uh, uh, 4, or chapter, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, most of you here that are believers, most of you here that are Christians, probably have had conversations with non-believers. I hope you have. And it doesn't take you too long to find out they don't know the Lord, right? And the things that they say are just so off the wall that you know they just don't know. And, and usually it's not, 
it's not hard for you to love them and to show grace to them because you've kind of concluded, just like he said, they're blinded. They just don't know. They don't see it. It's kind of like Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we feel that way. But friends, I, I just have to say, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I think that blindedness sometimes can creep into the Christian's life as well. If we allow us to go down this track, you're going to find the same consequences true, that you will drift into darkness. And you dig your heels in, and you, you don't want that to be exposed. In fact, you're uncomfortable. I see this happening. It's one of the reasons why here at North Shore, one of our priorities is to get us into relationships beyond the big, big community like this right now, to get into relationships so that we can be known and that we can know others and we can love in light of the knowledge of, of what's going on. And believe me, relationships are messy at times, aren't they? they? They aren't easy. Some people would like to just kind of stay back in the wings and never have that closet opened. But, but he's saying that this is one of those strongholds that needs to be opened. And so he talks about this in a relational context and he says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's a good place to be. But we have to walk in the light so that it exposes those dark spots, that blindness that is in us. I don't know about you. I, I don't want to walk through unknowing, you know, something. I prefer to have somebody lovingly share something that I need to know about and welcome that. Uh, rather than hide from that. So that's the one thing he talks. The second one, it's kind of a little different, but he talks about the dullness, the hardening of the mind. Uh, he talked about that in 2 Corinthians 3. He says their minds were hardened. Now, isn't it interesting? This is the same letter that later in verse t or chapter 10, he's given us kind of the, the, the challenge, you know, to take these kinds of thoughts captive. But this is the person... Who, who has believed something so, so much for so long that now you're kind of like concrete. No, no seeds could penetrate. No truth could penetrate. It's just going to lie there. You're just going to keep on going doing what you've thought to be, you know, your truth. But, it, but there's not a receptivity uh, to the truth of the word. There's a hardening. Interesting, in the Old Testament, it said that Pharaoh, his, his mind became hardened when it came to all these signs and these miracles that Moses did to set the people free. There's this little thing it says, but Pharaoh's heart, heart was hardened. His thoughts were hardened so that he couldn't, he couldn't receive it. I've met people like that. And it's a sad, sad situation when they're so hard that there's no receptivity at all. But, as Paul said, the weapons we described... The truth, the word of God, and prayer, they can break those strongholds. They can break those strongholds. And that's, uh, that's what we proclaim today. That's what he's talking about. I kind of save, save this last one because, in my opinion, of all the schemes that Satan has, this is his number one tool in his toolbox. Okay? That's my opinion. And the, the result is the mind or the thought of what we might just categorize as unforgiveness. Okay, unforgiveness. But what it is that brings us to that place is another word that is called offenses. Of, of allowing ourselves to be offended by something. 
And, and you, you, you fill in the blank. A word, a loose word that hurts you. An action, a, a misunderstanding, a, a, an abuse. Some of these offenses, you might have to travel back years or even to childhood that you're still hanging on to. And a couple of things Jesus reminded us was that you cannot live in this world. Luke 17, 1 said, you can't live in this world without being exposed to those kinds of offenses. So it's going to happen. The second thing is, he said in Matthew 24, that in the later days, in the last days, many will be offended. And, and here's how the enemy does it. There's a hurt. There's a loose statement. There's something. And, and that word offended, and maybe some of you know this, but there's a word, a Greek word. It's called scandalon. Guess what word we get derived from that? Scandal. And what the scandalon was in Greek times was a bait stick. So if they were going to try to trap an animal, there was a location, you know, I don't know if you're into crab season or anything like that, but a, a crab trap has a little basket, okay? And then you put chicken or some other bait that's inside there. And so the bait that goes into that to get them to come into the trap, that's the scandalon according to, according to that word. And when you read your Bible and you see the word offense, that's the word scandalon. So what is he saying? He's saying that the bait that, that the enemy uses to trap us are the offenses that we hang on to and don't let go of. It's that simple. I was watching Discovery Channel one time and it was showing uh, how, I don't know where it was, India or someplace, or how they trap the monkeys. And, and what they'll do is put one of these bait sticks in a cage. And it's the scandalon. They put it in the cage. The monkey will go in and, and he goes his hand through the bars and he can fit through the bars to get into the cage to grab the bait stick. But then when he makes a fist, he can't pull him out of the bars. It's too, too big. Dumb monkey. All you got to do is let go of the stick. But he won't let go. He sees his captors coming and he knows that they've got harm in mind. And, he, and uh, you know, he'll scream and he'll screech and he'll make all kinds of commotion, but he won't let go of the bait stick until they come and bonk him over the head. And now, now he's in there. Well, you know what the story is, right? And I just think, dumb monkey. But yes, I hate to say this, guys. Not trying to be disparaging, but some of us are dumb monkeys, aren't we? We won't let go of the stick. You won't let go. And, and, and the enemy's got you right where he wants you. And your thoughts just keep going over and over again. And I want to challenge you along these lines. Because I want to ask you a question. And just, just consider this for a moment. Do you believe that you have a right to be offended in your given situation? Maybe you're there now. Maybe you've been there. Chances are you will sometime. Do you believe you have a right to be offended. Some of you are already thinking, I can hear your, your minds right now, but pastor, you don't know what they did to me. My story is different than, than others. It was, it was too painful. It was too hurtful. And I just can't, I can't let go of that stick. Do you feel that you have a right to be offended? And how... How does that measure up against the word of God, the truth of God's word? Like when Paul said, for example, 
I have been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ lives inside of me. Friends, do you know what we truly did when we surrendered our life to Jesus? We gave up our rights to ourselves. And so when that thing comes along and you're thinking, wow, why'd they do that? Why'd they say, I don't deserve that. That's not just. That's not right. And we hang on to that. What are we doing? We're saying, I'm demanding my right. But what if we've given that up to Christ? What if that's been surrendered over to him? Do we have, do we have a right to be offended? That bait, I'll tell you, it, uh, it has trapped a lot of folks um, and I, I stop and I think of Proverbs 19.11 and it says good sense makes, uh, makes one slow to anger and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. To his glory to overlook an offense. And, uh, and as I, I consider that and I look over, over a, a long journey and, and this has been where the battle is. When it comes to my thoughts, and I don't want to presuppose that just being a spiritual leader that I'm under more attack than any of you are, but I'm telling you what, there's stuff swirling around all the time. And you've got to predetermine what you're going to believe, what you're going to do, and if you're going to let go, literally let go, so that you're not entrapped by an enemy. Uh, who, who that's exactly what his agenda is. Is there something today that you need to let go of? Just to begin to enjoy more peace in your mind. Could you do that? Can you do that? I, I just, I look at the enemy, and Paul, essentially, I think, I'm just thinking to Acts when he told the Ephesian leaders he said you know what when I leave man they're gonna be savage wolves that are going to come and they're gonna try to attack you and when I think of a wolf a wolf has two agendas one of them is he has an aversion to a shepherd he doesn't like shepherds especially shepherds who have a staff in their hand and he has an attraction to the weaker sheep that's who he goes after like that film I showed you last week the lion going after what's he go after he goes after the slowest one sometimes the weakest one and so as a flock, uh, you know, just, just be aware. These are warning signs, and, and we just don't want to give sway to the enemy's schemes. And this is probably the chief of, of them all is to entrap us with our, our thinking. So why Jesus said, you know what, in our Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And if I was holding those thoughts to sword point, you know which one would come to my mind? It would, it would come back over here at um, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. Those times when, when I have um, I've drifted into that mode... And I've had some pretty painful things happen over the, over the years. And when I drift into that mode, I, I'm just going to tell you guys where I go. If I'm going to go to the truth and go to the Word of God, often I will go back to Genesis and I will live with Joseph for a little while. Joseph, who was his dad's favorite and all this, and yet his brothers hated him and they threw him into a pit. 
I know that feeling. And it went from bad to worse because then his older brother said, hey, why don't we get some bucks for him? Why don't we, why don't we exchange him to these uh, Egyptians and send him off to Egypt, you know? And that's what happened. And, and then he gets falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. And he didn't deserve it. If anybody had a right to demand their right to their, their just and all this, it could have been Joseph shaking his fist, but you don't see that. He gets delivered out of the prison, and now, he, now he's in Pharaoh's court, and he rises by the favor of God to the second charge, only to Pharaoh. And the most amazing moment happens in the circumstances where his brothers, who threw him into the pit, are standing before him. He's incognito. They don't know who he is. And he could just take it out on them with, with no thought, probably. And yet he says these great words. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. And he delivered their whole race as a result of it. And he saw the big picture. That's where I go. Now, I have to say, probably more often than not, I go to the cross. Because that's just what Jesus did on the cross, isn't it? When Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Take up your cross and follow me. That's what it's like. That's why I said, live this out. And so I just challenge you today, in light of these things, how do we take these thoughts captive? You take them to sword point. It's only the word of God and the truth, the light that it represents. Praying, talking to the Lord, allowing him to penetrate your heart like David. Search my heart, Lord. Is there any thought? Is there anything that's out of, out of sorts in this? And if something along these lines of, of hurt or offenses or anything like that, if that touched you where you're at today, friends, I just implore you, I encourage you, don't leave this place today without inviting the light of Christ to come in and um, shed that light and, and expose that before the Lord and this, just confess it and honor him uh, and ask him to forgive you as, as you forgive others. Amen? Let's stand together and we're going to pray. And then we're, we're going to actually celebrate as conquerors what Jesus Christ has come to do for us, just as, a, as an affirmation. But let's humble ourselves before the Lord, and let's just bow before him uh, in these closing minutes. Lord, we know uh, your spirit's in this place. We know your light is shining through that into our hearts. God, those today who have opened their hearts to you, I know that they have got the, the substance, the, they've got the, the weapons, the equipment to deal with these things the enemy's trying to use to undo us. God, I'm praying for a brother or sister in the room right now who they immediately were taken to a place of hurt and pain. It's a place they're so familiar with that sometimes the flesh is, has got us believing what would we do without it? We've been thinking about it for so long. But maybe today is the day that your word unmistakably is calling us to a place of surrender of that very thing, letting go of the bait that the enemy has put in the trap. We need to let it go. And right now in Jesus' name, I'm praying over those to let it go, let it go trust you with it. If the enemy tries to bring it back and deliver it, I just pray we don't sign for it. <laughs> that we just, that we just de decline that. We're not going to go there anymore. We're going to honor you. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, for hanging on to this longer than we should have. Cleanse our heart 
We come out of hiding and confess. And you said, you promised that you would clean our hearts, purify us, Lord, of all of our thoughts that are taken to places that, that we know, we know are not God-honoring. So we love you, God. We love the fact that you are our conqueror. You are our victor. In you, we have the power, the strength, the weapons to break down these strongholds. We claim them today. You, you really are the Lion of Judah. And there's nobody that can contend with the Almighty God. There's nobody, Lord, who can stop you, who can keep you from carrying out your purpose. And we are your children. We are the ones that are on the other end, Lord, to receive uh, that greatness. So we love you, God, today. And I just pray over your people and just pray a blessing over them uh, as you hear our prayer today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, just before we close with a song, just know this. Uh, we're here to pray. That, that's one of those weapons, right? Uh, I'll be hanging around. There's other leaders that are here available to pray. we got some folks back in the prayer room. If there's something that's just been gnawing at you and you just need to get it off your chest, come to one of us. Let's pray about this. Let's take it to the Lord and expose it to the light and just see what God does, okay? Let's sing this song with great enthusiasm about the victory that we have in Jesus, okay?